Well, the handwriting is on the wall. America as we have known it is no more. And what everyone thinks about Donald Trump and his indictment by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, we must all confess one thing, and that is America is at an impasse and with no way forward. The left and the right, which does not necessarily equal Democrat and Republican, have become so far removed from one another. The best that we can hope for, in my opinion, is that we can go our separate ways peaceably. Regarding basic constitutional principles, for example, I want you to think about how far apart we are. Those on the right understand that our rights are given to us, bestowed by God. And the very purpose of the government is to protect those rights. And so when rights are trampled, they're trampling on God-given freedoms. And that's really the sole function of government, to protect what God gave us. On the other hand, the left pretends that there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalms 14 and 1. Only government force, therefore, remains to bestow rights, and individual rights may be bestowed, given, or may be removed at will, and that's exactly what takes place. And there is no reconciliation between these two particular points. No more than there's reconciliation between theism, the belief in God, and atheism, the belief that there is no God. How about foreign policy? One side, the left, pledges allegiance to internationalism. It believes that it is good to press America into a world government that is overseen by globalists so that they can force American taxpayers to pay reparations to the rest of the world for our sins. America is forced to cough up its blood and treasure to defend every nation on the globe, no matter how insignificant that nation may be. And if that is not enough, we are being forced to throw tons of taxpayer money to foreign countries in foreign aid, not a penny of which is authorized by the United States Constitution. But this is because the baseline law of the land, the Constitution itself, is considered to be outmoded, outdated to globalists. It is hated and it is despised. We must support world socialism. That's the mantra. And so our foreign policy has been for the past 50 years exactly that. And there's no dictator that has not been held with great love by American foreign policy. Leftists cannot begin to understand George Washington's farewell advice that the United States must concentrate only on American interests. Now, this was no isolationism, but a strict avoidance of foreign entangling alliances while being friendly and open to commerce with all nations. To the left, that sage American advice given by the father of our country is railed upon as some kind of Hitlerian nationalism. How about domestic affairs? Is there any ground that is really seen to be where we can meet with reconciliation and peace? I don't think so. The God-ordained institution of marriage, for example, Genesis 2 and 24, God created man in his own image, Genesis 1, 27, and he created man and woman, joined them together, Genesis 2, 24, that forms the basis of our very Western culture. That's being relegated to a vacuous relic of history by the onslaught of homosexual rights. 
the leftists popularly called for the eradication of the nuclear family. Marriage is now whatever the left wants it to be. And when you define it so broadly as they have, then marriage becomes really a nondescript institution, if an institution at all. But the problem is that government force demands federal recognition that two men can be married. Our culture is disappearing and has already rapidly disappeared as the family has disappeared. Homosexuality is a sinful choice that men make. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. Those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God, homosexuality being among the list that Paul gives us. But federal law now forces private companies to consider it simply an orientation while penalizing those who act in accordance with their faith. Those on the right understand that human life in the womb is sacred, having been created by God. Psalms 139, verses 13 to 15. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, David writes. And he tells about God crafting him in his mother's womb. However, the left believes that life may be exterminated at will. And the federal government forces Christians to fund abortion mills. Is there any reconciliation between these particular polls? No, I say there is not. The right perceives that giving is free will offering by individuals who have purposed in their hearts. That's what giving is. Purpose in your own heart to give. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. But the left votes for government force to remove money from private citizens and to apply them to their own pet-approved projects. And this insatiable beast called socialism is never satisfied. Being charitable with other people's monies makes the left feel good about themselves and they harangue the rest of us. They think that actually, by forcing you to cough up your hard-earned tax dollars, that they might spend it on some pet project or some uh, illegal aliens or whatever it may be, or a welfare system, that that is somehow their charitable giving. They do not understand what giving is. Is there any reconciliation between force and free will offering? No, there's no, there's no reconciliation there. Children, they're gifted by God to families as a reward. So writes David in Psalms 127 and verse 1, the fruit of the womb is his reward. Educating and training children is the divinely ordained role to parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But the leftists of state-run education now openly declare from Florida to California that your children are wards of the state and they will be educated as they see fit. Force is used by the Department of Justice to prosecute parents who object to this hedonistic indoctrination of their own offspring. I say there is no reconciliation between those two poles. Law and order. That's the God-assigned primary role of the government. Law and order. That's Romans chapter 13 and verses 1 through 5. And that includes capital punishment to deter lawlessness. And besides national defense... Do you realize this is really the only force that God assigns to the state? Punishment of crime is essential. But our leftist state, however, has replaced punishment 
with rehabilitation and forces Americans to live with crime and mayhem on the streets as one district attorney after another releases prisoners with long rap sheets and felonies and they go and create more chaos. I say there is no bringing us together on common ground there. The rule of law has evaporated. No one is above the law, we're told. Well, that's a sad joke. Of course they are. The ruling socialists have no prospects of indictment for crimes that have been committed and confessed, such as Hillary Clinton, such as James Comey and other individuals. None of them have any fear of being indicted for crimes. Government only forces Americans who protest about a corrupt system on January 6th to sit in jail without trial, without a trial, and without any formal charges being brought against them. And many of the J6 prisoners still rot in jail. Free speech has been the hallmark of a free society. Expressing objections to the ruling class, however, has become now a matter of censorship by platforms on Facebook, Google, Twitter, which are, by the way, before anybody jumps in here and says, well, that is, those are private companies. No, those are government actors. And the Supreme Court has so labeled companies that have government protections given by Congress as government actors. Facebook, Twitter, Google are government actors. And they are censoring the right. Government forces one to express only approved opinions, as demonstrated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Citizens on the right understand that God wants mankind to respect borders. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, that he has made of one every nation of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, having determined their appointed seasons and their bounds of their habitation. Notice that last line, bounds of their habitation. God appointed bounds of their habitation. In the Old Testament, when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, God mandated that they respect the boundaries of foreign nations, even though those nations were paganistic in orientation. But this rule of law is flagrantly disregarded by the left when it comes to the border of the United States. So we can go to foreign nations and protect their borders, such as Joe Biden wants to do with Ukraine. But we want to have, according to the Biden administration and the Obamas before him and others as well, including the George Bushes of the world, they want a borderless North American Union landmass. That's the leftist vision. And now it has brought on human trafficking, deadly drug importation, sexual slavery, and it forces the American taxpayer who should be protected by the government to pay for millions of illegal aliens. I ask, is there any common ground between these two poles? No, they're so poles apart. They're north and south pole apart. Biblical injunctions in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, is the environmental mandate to those who respect God and his word. Subdue the earth and exercise lordship or rulership over it. Subdue means to utilize it. That is because those of us on the right understand that salvation is otherworldly, that is, heaven, and the earth's resources are provided by God for our brief sojourn upon the earth. But like paganism of old, on the other hand, the left worships at the altar of the green earth religion, Almighty Gaia, 
utilizing Earth's resources is considered sinful exploitation, and government now forces Americans to bow at this altar, forcibly locking away Earth's resources from human consumption. That has become what our government's role is now. So I ask the question, what will occur with the indictment of Donald Trump? I'm not certain what all will occur here within the future, but I am certain about one thing, and that is two cannot walk together except they be agreed. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. There is no possible way in the wake of the indictment of Donald Trump that we can bridge the gap between these two worldviews. I don't see the left and right ever coming back to peaceable grounds. I say it's time for separation, and the indictment of Donald Trump underscores why this must be. We'll be back in a moment. I had a good friend send me the book, which is called Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas the other day. It was a 2022 book. He's one of those who had written a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And the letter to the American church is really throwing down the gauntlet to the pulpits of America, to preachers, and to those who name the name of Christ and call themselves Christians to get involved in what's going on in this nation if we're going to save it at all because we're at the nth hour. But the criticism has been that, well, that's too political. Well, or keep doctrines such as those out of the church building. Let's don't talk about abortion. Let's don't talk about homosexuality. Let's don't talk about rights to keep and bear arms, which is a biblical mandate, by the way, a biblical concept, I should say. Let's keep those things out of the building. We don't want to talk about those. That's really what's going on. And in view of this, in the light of this, what's taking place around the global China is forcing people to have abortions, they're organ harvesting, and yet the United States does not speak out about it at all. We don't speak out about homosexuality. We're not speaking out about Marxism, the atheism that is taken over our country by a landslide. We don't talk about the slavery that's going on in the Muslim world. We don't talk about slavery that is taught in the Quran. Wow, that's too political, we say. Well, our silence is going to cost us because this is exactly what occurred in, during Nazism when the Jews began to be persecuted. The Nazis, that is, or the German people, I should say, rather, thought, well, these things are too political. You know, Chuck Colson quotes Abraham Cooper, and he says, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, that is mine. Christ owns every square inch. And what has happened is that the churches and those claiming to be Christians have fallen back so far in the cultural war and not speak, speak, uh, have not spoken out that we are losing our culture as rapidly as I'm speaking. We might start with just to kick things off, thinking about 1954 when LBJ was put into the Congress. Now, LBJ, Lyndon Johnson, was opposed by the churches, whether it be Churches of Christ, for which I preach, or Baptist preachers. They spoke out against Johnson. 
because they recognized that he was basically a socialist. Well, Johnson said, I'll do one thing when I get into office, and he finally got in there. We'll talk about some of that later. And he says, we're we're going to shut these churches up. And so on the idea that there's a separation between church and state and that idea which is not in the Constitution, and it's not biblical either, by the way, the church sat silent. And the separation meant government stay out. So what did he do? He took away the tax-exempt, or he threatened to take away tax-exempt status of churches if they logged in on political issues. In other words, political candidates, political issues were off limits to preachers in the pulpit, regardless of how they might touch the moral issue and the moral, the moral fabric of a country, preachers were told to stay out of it. And if a pul- pulpit strayed from that, their tax exemption was repealed. How astonishing it is that many preachers allowed this to go unchallenged. There's no freedom in the pulpit. That's absolutely astonishing to me. But I'll tell you one thing. Freedom to speak is, in my book, non-negotiable. And I'll speak out against Marxism because it is rooted, tap-rooted, right into atheism. And that, that may go against the grain, but that's the way it is. Next came prayer being dismissed from schools under the lie of separation of church and state. And once again, churches sat silent. Separation meant once again, by the way, separation of church and state, when Thomas Jefferson coined the phrase, meant government stay out. Government leave the churches alone. But no, prayer was taken out. Bible reading was taken out. Anything that had to do with a moral compass was removed. And church leaders today are just like those in Germany in the 1930s. They say, well, we've got to give equal time to error. And when the pandemic came, then we sat silent and the churches were shut down. And all of that was based upon lies anyway. And now the border's wide open and human trafficking is occurring at an alarming rate. We have critical race theory, which is Marxist ideology taught in the universities and in the high schools, and yet preachers are silent. Leftists in church are political. The people that are on the left, they're political about it. How about transgender based upon atheism? How many preachers are preaching out or speaking out against this kind of nonsense? And how about the fact that the state wants to choose how your children are to learn? Now, in Berlin, Germany, there is what is called the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church. Berliners called it the hollow tooth. It is only the remains of a once magnificent church. It has a huge tower, ornately decorated as all that stands of the old church. The bell tower is cracked and pitted, and one can still see the mosaic murals of the old Kaiser and his queen on the walls. It's a museum of sorts reminding people of the horrors of World War II. The destruction of the church came, except for the one tall tower, by English bombs that were dropped by the RAF in November 1943. It was the Allies that were shattering Hitler's Nazi war machine. But let's go back from 1943, when those bombs were dropped and practically destroyed the building, only leaving the tower that stands there today, 
back to 1932, and the date is November 6. It was Reformation Sunday upon that day, just two months before Hitler became the Chancellor of Germany. The church had been built by Kaiser Wilhelm No. 2, and on this day, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would deliver the sermon. Now, Bonhoeffer was concerned. He saw that the country drifting into socialism, because that's what Nazism is, socialism, exactly what's going on in our country today. And he knew the church would be swept up if it didn't quit fooling around with masquerades called church services. He emphasized that the church better wake up to see what's happening in Germany. It was moving into national socialism, and the nation was at a precipice. And there were powerful tribalistic forces of paganism being unleashed in the country of Germany. And as he talked about it and warned the congregation, they, as normally, they slept in their pews, they dozed off, they left the building, they acted as if they had, uh, as they had always acted, they blithely went about their daily business, and Hitler moved into power within months. Now it's February 1933. We were in November 1932, now just three months later. Hitler's in power. Bonhoeffer's on the radio speaking a sermon. And somewhere in the middle of the broadcast, as he spoke about leadership and what true leadership should be, the broadcast was cut off, censored. I want you to think of Twitter, Facebook, censoring people. Bonhoeffer had just been canceled. Now, people thought they could go on as they always had, and all would be well. We'll get them in the next election, they thought. Christians looked the other way, but the clock was ticking. There were 18,000 preachers in the country of Germany in 1934. 18,000. Bonhoeffer knew that they needed to be decisive. We needed bold Christian leadership, and so they issued the Barman, what was called the Barman Declaration, which basically said that the German state must not co-opt the church, and the sanctity of the church must be kept free. But preachers in the pulpits were fearful. They were lackadaisical. They thought, well, this is too political. And 12,000 of them did not sign it. Only 3,000 signed the Barman Declaration. 3,000 others signed a statement supporting Hitler. If the 12,000 would sign, we might have a chance, Bonhoeffer thought. But they could not read the signs of the times. They were too busy with their personal lives, too busy at the sports stadium, too busy doing what they wanted to do. 1935, the Nazis began arresting those 3,000 that had signed that declaration. 700 were arrested in one sweep. And by the time that the vast majority of those who called themselves Christians woke up, it was too late. The same thing is happening in America. The Marxist devilish philosophy has taken hold of our government, and it is you that they have in their target. Now, the point simply is this. Most people do not understand what is taking place in the country. They're not paying attention until it is too late. Bonhoeffer was hanged by the Nazis on April 9, 1945, on the gallows at Flossenburg concentration camp, just before Germany surrendered, one month later, May 7, 1945. You better pay attention to what's going on in our country. Back in a moment. I want to refer 
once again to the book by Eric Metaxas. It's just a fabulous book, Letter to the American Church. And in it, he speaks about what he calls and what has been called by others the spiral of silence. And we're going back to the same thing that we've been talking about. It's time for people to speak out, conservatives, and particularly the pulpits in this country, to speak out against the onslaught of Marxism in our nation. Elizabeth Noel Newman was born in Berlin, 1916. At first, she was herself pro-Hitler. But then she became, of course, aware of what was taking place, and she pulled out of it. But she talks later on, as she looked back at the history of herself and Germany, she talked about what was called the spiral of silence. What's a spiral of silence? Well, it refers to the idea that when people fail to speak out, the price of speaking rises. And as the price to speak rises, still fewer people speak up, which further causes the price to rise, and so that fewer people yet will speak out until the whole country or the whole culture is absolutely silenced. That's exactly what occurred in Germany during the 1930s. There was a culture of silence or a spiral of silence, and the nation itself was mute. And we've heard the parable, or perhaps it has actually occurred, where the church is just saying, as train cars were going by carrying Jews to concentration camps, and Jews and Christians were slaughtered. You see, there is, a, there is an organic union between Bible doctrine and political landscape. There is really not a separation of politics and religion. That is a devil's lie. There is a worldview, and the Bible gives us a worldview. And the politics are simply the outworking of what our worldview now is. That's what has always occurred. And the very word culture has within it the word cult, which means in ancient times, olden times, before it has taken on negative connotations, the word cult, it simply meant religious presuppositions. You cannot find a culture that does not have some religious presupposition within it. You might not be able to find it at first. You might not be able to to identify it, but cultures all have religious presuppositions. And whatever the religious presupposition is, whatever the, the doctrine is, whether it's biblical or Islamic or Quranic, or whether it be paganism itself, the outworking will be seen in the political landscape that occurs. And that's exactly what we're seeing in America. So looking at what's happening in America, what do you think the presuppositions are that are working behind the scenes? Well, we know what they are. We have been called a Christian country, and by the way, our founding fathers with one voice said that this was absolutely the case. It doesn't matter which founding father you look at. They all basically said the same thing. A Christian nation, they did not mean that we were to have a, a nation in the sense of the Old Testament the Old Testament kingdom in which there was God's law ruling in the sense of a king ruling. No, that wasn't what they had in mind. They had in mind simply 
the principles of Christianity crafted the laws of this nation. And that's exactly what the Declaration of Independence reflects. That is, Christianity, biblical doctrine, is reflected in the Declaration of Independence. But if you look around now, you're not, you're not thinking that at all. So what we're seeing right now, and even while we're going to air, the State House in Nashville, Tennessee, is under assault, protested, I guess, protesting, and it looks like it's escalating because the Democrats, several of them, led in protest in the State House against the rules of the Tennessee Senate, Tennessee Congress, they used bullhorns in the middle of the state house, in spite of the fact that they were told to cease and desist, but they nevertheless led these riotous people into the courthouse. Here's a question for you. J6 was not nearly the riotous activity with most of the people that went to Washington, D.C. on that day. But, you know, if people simply were there, Joe Biden's Department of Justice is rounding them up and they're putting them in prison and they have not even the rights read to them. They have not they have not been indicted. They have no charges formally laid against them, and they're sitting there rotting in prison for merely trespassing, supposedly, at the at the people's house. And yet we have something much more violent taking place, escalating at least at this point in the Tennessee place. I wonder if I wonder if they're going to go round all those people up and put them in prison. I wonder if that's what's going to happen. No, because the left is in charge in this country. That's what's happening. Well, all of that simply to say the presuppositions that underlie this country in the past have been Christian-based, biblical-oriented. But today, not so much. Not so much. Now, before we go to break, I want to encourage you to look at the apps where our radio show is. You can find it on Amazon Music. You can find it on the Spotify app. The show is called Patriotic Pulpit, and you can go find all the shows that I have there at Patriotic Pulpit. Articles that I write are found on the Newstalk1290.com website. You can go there and log in or go there and, and read and object or say whatever you'd like to say. Happy to hear from you. So those are the avenues that I'm operating with. We also have a website, American Liberty with Bill Lockwood, and you can go there and you can see articles we've published in the past. You might donate if you wish to, to the program. I also preach in the pulpits of the Churches of Christ, and I'm at Iowa Park Church of Christ, right outside of Wichita Falls, and the website is iowaparkcoc.org, iowaparkcoc.org, and you can go and hear any sermon that I've preached for the last I don't know how many years we've been doing it, but many years. Articles that I write, church bulletin, and materials that I publish. So you can follow me in any of those and listen to what I have to say. Listen to what um, the Bible says when I mention the Bible and speak about the Bible. And you can go there as well. So I hope you go to those to support the program. We'll be back in just a moment. One of the things that is so important that we have intact in this nation, if we're going to survive as a nation at all, is the integrity of the election system. But it is not surprising that the integrity of the election system or accusations that elections have been stolen 
are soiled. Those accusations have been banned from the mainstream media and banned also apparently from Fox News because you don't ever hear anything about it talking about the fraud in the elections that we've had in the last so many years. You don't hear anything about that. But there is evidence abounding that many elections have been stolen or are fraudulent. For example, Kerry Lake in Arizona. That election has been taken now, I think it's to the state Supreme Court. That is the election results. But the neocons in charge, Republican neocons in charge of the election, they claim that there's nothing been done wrong, even though there's been so much that was wrong on the election day. And we've talked about that over and over again in the past. But you can follow Carrie Lake, and I hope you support her. Even right now in Arizona, she takes it to the Supreme Court. But people think, well, that seems so far-fetched that, you know, she's objecting to the election, blah, blah, blah. Well, the same thing I do regarding the election that Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden. I believe there was fraud in that election, but we're not even, we're not even allowed to talk about that. That is mainstream media. And the reason is because there's so much evidence that that is exactly what occurred. But lest you think that that is something new that's taking place, think again. I have in front of me an article written by Steve Bias from the New American Magazine, newamerican.com. It was published April 2, 2023. And this goes back to something we've talked about on this program before, and that is the election of LBJ, Lyndon Johnson, from Texas himself. And it was the 1948 Senate contest in Texas that was contested. But now some new evidence has been turned over and showing that exactly the conservatives have been right all the while. Remember, I talked about and reviewed a book by J. Evitz Haley right on this program called A Texan Looks at Lyndon talking about stolen elections, and it talks primarily about the 1948 election that was stolen by Lyndon Johnson right here in the state of Texas. Well, now there is new evidence even being released by the LBJ Presidential Library and Museum on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin that shows exactly that J. Evans Haley and other conservatives were right all the time. Now, the story is told that a few days after Johnson's so-called victory in the Democratic primary in the 1948 Texas Senate race, now remember at that time, the Democratic primary in the Lone Star State was considered tantamount to election, a man noticed a 15-year-old boy sitting on the street corner in Alice, Texas, crying uncontrollably. What's wrong, the man asked, leaning down to the distraught teen. My daddy was out of town my daddy was in town on Tuesday, but he did not come by and see me, the boy said, wiping away his tears. But your daddy's been dead for 10 years, the bewildered man replied. Yes, said the boy. He voted for Lyndon Johnson on Tuesday, and he did not come by and see me. Well, that little story simply illustrates what was suspected for years and has now been confirmed that Lyndon Johnson stole the 1948 election for Senate in the state of Texas, which put him on the path to the post of Senate Majority Leader, followed by later the office of Vice President, and finally upon the assassination of President John Kennedy in 1963, it led him to the White House. And we have the welfare system put on steroids in 1963 and 64. 
and the 1948 election stolen set the course for the country. In 1977, James Mangan, a reporter for the AP, conducted a series of interviews touching on the allegations of the 1948 steal, including an interview with South Texas election judge, and his name is Louis Salas. He told Mangan, Johnson did not win that election. It was stolen for him, and I know exactly how it was done. Well, after Mangan died, that's the reporter for the AP in 2015, family members found the cassette tapes at his home in San Antonio and decided they were such historic value, valuables, that they needed to be donated to the LBJ Library in Austin. That's now 2015, many years later, almost 40 years later. When the polls closed in the hotly contested race between Johnson and Texas governor at that time, Coke Stevenson, 1948, it appeared that Johnson's political career was absolutely over. He had lost a previous race for the Senate in 1941, and this second loss probably meant Johnson would be more a footnote in history, but the election was stolen. In the days following the election, however, it was announced that some uncounted votes had been found in a ballot box known as Box Number 13, which amazingly enough were all for Johnson, except for two votes enough to swing the election from Stevenson to Johnson by a margin of only 87 votes out of over 1 million cast. Mark Lawrence is the director of the LBJ Library. He said that later research conducted by Robert Caro, who wrote a multi-volume biography of Johnson, including called The Path to Power, essentially reaffirmed Mangan's story of 1977 built on it. Remember, Mangan is the AP reporter that recorded Louis Salas, the Texas judge. Lawrence noted that the kind of irregularities we see were at work in the 1948 Senate race in Texas were, I think it's fair to say, this is a direct quote, pretty widespread across American history in all regions of the country to one extent or another, but certainly in the South and along the uh, Mexican borderlands as recently as the 1940s. Judge Salas explained to Mangan that George Parr, that's a South Texas political boss at the time, ordered enough votes to be added to Box 13 to give Johnson the election. That's what Judge Salas testified to. The votes were added in alphabetic order with names, isn't that amazing? Alphabetic order with names of individuals who were on the voter rolls but had not voted in the election. One man later objected. He was not even in town on the day of the election, and yet his name was signed onto the poll book. Incredibly, all the names were in similar handwriting and closed them those of some individuals who are no longer living. Sound familiar? This victory gave Johnson the nickname Landslide Johnson. Now, some people argue that Johnson had himself been robbed of the 1941 Senate election. And for that matter, the 1960 presidential election in which Johnson and presidential candidate Kennedy won over Republican Richard Nixon was itself marred by voting irregularities in multiple locales, including Chicago where Kennedy had votes on the voting machines even before the polls were opened. But Lawrence, that's, remember, the director of the LBJ Library, seems to defend LBJ at least somewhat, arguing, well, LBJ was willing to do what he had to do to maintain political power. When he had the opportunity, he was more inclined to act on that principle. Oh, okay, there we have it. That reminds me of other statements that are made 
by people today who say, you know what, we don't trust the voters, and we're going to have to do something about it. That's what they said. That's what Democrats, leading Democrats said as they took Donald Trump to task and tried to imp- and, and did impeach him when he was president. Well, same thing. Well, LBJ had to do what he had to do to maintain political power. And he said Johnson worked to ensure that people were able to vote in fair and equitable elections. In other words, Johnson wanted to protect the right to vote of those inclined to vote for him and the Democratic Party. So while Mangan's 1977 interviews and Carroll's research were important, the truth is that other people had done extensive research about the stolen 1948 election even earlier. And one book that I have talked about and reviewed and mentioned a moment ago is by J. Evans Haley, a noted Texas historian. He published a scathing attack on the 1964 presidential campaign, A Texan Looks at Lyndon, A Study in Illegitimate Power. But just like what's happening today, his work was ignored by mainstream media. Others documented also the steal, including Victor Lasky in his 1977 book. It didn't start with Watergate. Uh, didn't start with Watergate. Now it should be noted that Democrats dismissed allegations of vote fraud, of vote fraud, both 1948 Senate race in Texas and the Democratic victory in 1960 presidential contest. And it was almost three decades before the denials of the Johnson Senate steal ceased with the Mangan interviews but the damage had been done. And isn't it interesting that any concern about potential vote fraud cases in recent years always seem to favor the Democrats, such as Al Franken's disputed win over Republican incumbent Senator Norm Coleman in Minnesota and all the irregularities that helped Democrat Joe Biden win over Donald Trump in 2016, including the fact that more people voted for Joe Biden than voted for Barack Obama. Who can believe it? Ridiculous. And many other such contests. And everybody who questions it are called conspiracy theorists. No, the reality on the ground is that vote fraud is taking place. And if we don't get our elections under control and have some integrity coming back to them, then we will indeed lose this country forever.